Well, take your Bibles this morning and go with us to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. For those that are guests with us, typically we are going through a book of the Bible and we're going through the Gospel of Mark, although we've taken a little bit of a break through December and now through much of January. We'll pick back up there in February, Lord willing. But the Lord certainly directed our steps. The Spirit of God directed us today to move to this text. It's been on my heart all this week. You know... We all come to times in our life where we need the comfort that only God can give us. Man cannot give us the comfort that we need. And as long as we live in a temporary life with trials and difficulties, we are going to need this message. And it's my desire this morning, as the Spirit of God has led me to this text really just to minister to our church family this morning. Many of us in our grief and in our sorrow and in great need of comfort and consolation, whenever we need that, there is one place where we can always go to find it, and it is God's inspired word. And I want to just direct you to the word of God today because you're going to need this. Some of you need it right now. Some of you are going to need it next week or this year or in 10 years from now. I mentioned to you several weeks ago, I don't even remember when it was, when we were in Hebrews chapter 12, that none of us know what a year will bring. None of us know what a day will bring. None of us know what a week will bring. But I know if Miss Brenda could be here today and speak to you, she would say that last line of that song, run your race till you see Christ. Be faithful to the Lord. But sometimes along the way, we need to be comforted. We need to be helped. We need to be encouraged by the word of God. And so this is the scripture that has been on my heart and my mind. And it was by no accident, I believe with all my heart, it was by absolute divine appointment that on Tuesday night of this past week when our church gathered for revival meeting here, a handful of us due to the weather, many watching online, from a man uh, who he and his wife had lost their son unexpectedly and had written a book called How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over and shared some great principles with us. It was by divine appointment that that message was given to us. And in that message... The Lord brought this scripture to my mind. In fact, I shared it at the end of the service Tuesday evening. And I want to share it with you and kind of expound upon some thoughts. And maybe over the next, I'm not going to get through it all today. Miss Brenda, any time that I would apologize in our service publicly for preaching too long, I would always get a text (laughs) saying, don't apologize. Don't ever apologize for preaching too long. So today I might just honor her. (laughs) But let's stand for the reading of God's word. Let's begin in verse number three. 
Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and here's the phrase, the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Father, again, we come to your word and ask you to speak to us and minister to us. By the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, as only you can, we pray this for your glory and the advancement of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I never like to just get into a text without giving you an understanding of the text, and that's one of the the negative things about breaking away from expositional preaching. We're just kind of jumping into a new chapter here, but I want to give you a little bit of background. The text in front of us this morning is the second inspired letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. First and second Corinthians are the two inspired letters. But from those two inspired letters, we, we gather that there was a third letter that was not inspired that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. It was simply a, a letter from the heart and mind of Paul to the Corinthian believers But as we read the two inspired letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we find that as we come to the second one, that Paul is going through a deep trial. Paul is going through anguish. Paul is needing comfort. And the reason for that is because that the church at Corinth, the church that Paul had started and had spent 18 months there when he started the church, establishing it and grounding them in the truth, He had gotten a letter now as he's gone away that it has been ravished by wolves in sheep's clothing who have come in teaching and propagating false doctrine, bringing great confusion, bringing great dissension to that local body. In fact, one of them Paul references references in particular as a messenger of Satan. They are attacking the Apostle Paul on every front. So when Paul pins this, I want you to understand that he was feeling a great weight of affliction. He he was in great despair. He was in a great trial. His heart was broken because of the investment that had been made in this church and because of what was at stake right now. And it wasn't his reputation he was worried about. It was the reputation and the the stake of the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ. On top of all of that, the accusers, the, the wolves, are using Paul's own suffering, Paul's own trial, Paul's own affliction brought on by them as another proof of evidence that he is an immoral, embezzling fraud. And so as... Paul writes this, and as we open this second inspired letter, 
He starts out by saying this, and it's important for us to understand this. He's saying, God is coming to me in my affliction. God is coming to me in the middle of my trial. God is coming to me in my difficulty. And he's coming to me as, notice, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so this is, in my opinion... There's many other great texts as well. But in my opinion, the greatest section in Scripture on the comfort of God. 2 Corinthians shows us the the two sides of a spiritual battle that every single one of us face. Specifically here with the Apostle Paul, we see those that were attacking Paul. And then we see God himself comforting Paul. We see those who desire to see Paul hurt and Paul damaged through the trial, and then we see God who desires to see Paul comforted and conformed to the image of Jesus through this trial, through this difficulty. And here's what I want all of you to see today, and I want to see it again, afresh and new in my own life. I want us to see the heart of God for us today in your grief, in your trial, in your difficulty. I want you to see that although there are enemies, there are certainly Satan who, is, who wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. I want you to get a glimpse of the heart of God for you this morning. A God who desires in the middle of your anguish, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your affliction, he desires to be the God of all comfort. And yet in our humanness, in our humanness, we naturally stop and ask, why, don't we? Why, God? Why? Specifically in this situation, why would you take Brother Fred's caregiver, the mother of these children who love you and serve you, why, why did you allow this? Why? As we've heard many times, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? The truth is none of us are good. We understand that, right? There is none good, no, not one. So I understand what that statement is saying, but I'd like to kind of rephrase it. Why do difficult things happen to God's people? Why do difficult things happen to God's people? And all of us have experienced to one degree or another difficulties and trials and troubles and great grief and heartbreak. And all of us have stood in the need of divine comfort that can only come from God himself. And we know these hard things happen. The question is, why do they happen? Why does God allow devastating things to happen to his people? And again, as Pastor Bill Prater pointed out to us on this past Tuesday night, it is not wrong to ask why. The Psalms are full of why. Why, oh God? Why, oh God? And something that I had never thought about in regards to why is that Jesus himself on the cross asked the question, why? Why have you forsaken me? It's not wrong to ask why. As long as we're not consumed with the why, that it keeps us from trusting in the character of God by faith. And it's important for us to, to some degree, listen, 
It's important for us, to some degree, to be able to answer our own why. When the whys come to be able to speak to our hearts, at least in some way, the truth, the answer to that why. Because the truth is, we will never see the whole picture and we will never have the whole answer this side of heaven. Why? Because on this side of heaven, we look through a glass dimly. But one day, face to face. One day, clearly. But I do think that the Word of God gives us some insights that can help us this morning when we ask the question, why? And we all will, we all have, we all are. And by way of introduction to this this sermon and this text, and we'll touch on it here in the end, and perhaps we'll get into the actual breaking down of the text later, but by way of introduction, and probably as far as we will get this morning, I want to answer from Scripture some of those questions, why difficult things happen to God's people? Why do they happen? I think the Scripture is clear, at least that I can find six reasons why I believe God allows us to go through difficulties and trials that we don't understand. And the first, the first reason that I see is to test the validity of our faith. According to Scripture, real faith is lasting faith. It is faith that endures to the end. In contrast to that, the Bible certainly speaks of a counterfeit faith, faith that is not real. Judas himself, on the outside, looked like he had faith. He was externally attached to Jesus, but he was not internally attached to Jesus. He had a counterfeit faith, a faith that is, was destructible. And, and throughout Scripture, we see this. Hezekiah in the Old Testament was being tested. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31, it says that God left him to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. When we think of testings and trials, we certainly think of Job, don't we? I was talking to Brother Kenny Baldwin this week several times, and he was telling me that they're going through the book of Job right now. But Job, all of his children were killed. All of his great wealth was lost. He became smitten with a serious and perhaps fatal disease. His whole world caved in. We know from Scripture that God didn't bring it, but He allowed it. And we see from Scripture that it was a test. And in the middle of all, of all of it, while his wife is saying, curse God and die, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Indicating that he had enduring faith. He had passed the test. Habakkuk had a dilemma that was beyond him. Terrible things were happening to the people of God, Israel. And and the prophet Habakkuk was crying out to God and, and, and asking God to stop this, to turn it around, to redeem your people, to show your power, to, to bring them to repentance, to make them a righteous people. And he says in that, that, that book, how long will I cry? How long will I cry? And God gave him an answer that was just the opposite of what he was looking for. God not only said, I'm not going to bring a revival, but I'm going to bring the Chaldeans and they're going to act as the executioners of the Jews. 
And the whys had to be coming in his, his mind. Why doesn't God revive his people? If God's not going to revive his people, how in the world can he use a worse people to be their judge? And when the chaos was overpowering Habakkuk, he was reminded of this simple principle. Listen, the just shall live, how? By faith. The just shall live by their faith. And at the end of that little prophecy of Habakkuk, he says, if everything in the world goes crazy and people no longer look through the lens of the law and the lens of the word of God, yet will I trust in the Lord. He passed the test. His faith endured. I I have been blessed this week, and I'll say more about it Sunday, but... I've been blessed this week to watch the faith of the Allred family this week. A faith that does not lean on human understanding, but a faith that trusts in the Lord, that worships the Lord in the midst of difficulty and trials. Sometimes God allows hard things to his people to test the validity of our faith. Do we have real faith? Sometimes Number two, God allows difficult things to his people to wean us from earthly confidences and perspectives. To wean us from earthly confidence and perspectives. To wean us from our attachments to a temporary world. Because the truth is that for all of us, listen, it is our human nature which is flawed by sin, it is our human nature that leans into that which we can see and to that which we can feel. To trust in human resources, to trust in human reasoning, even to trust in human relationships. And sometimes the Lord brings us to trials and difficulties in our life in order that we might be weaned, in a sense, away from earthly confidences. None of us are beyond this. For example, in John, in chapter 6, there was a multitude gathered around Jesus and the disciples, and Philip was very concerned about how this great multitude was going to eat. And Jesus put Philip through a, a little test in John 5, or John 6, 5 and 6. It says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, to test him. For he knew himself what he would do. Now immediately, Philip did what? An earthly inventory. We have 200 denarii. That's not going to buy enough food to feed all of these people. Philip was given the opportunity in this moment to say, Jesus, you are the God of creation. You make the food. There's nothing that is impossible with you. But Philip, just like you and I, the first thing his mind goes to is human resources. How are we going to do this? And the Lord brings us to places in our lives where we don't have any capability in ourselves where there's nowhere to turn but to him 
Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, it says about him that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was willing to say no to being in the elite culture at the highest level in Egyptian society and take up the cause of slave Jews. In other words, he said no to everything temporal to say yes to the reproach of Christ, Hebrews says. In fact, verse 26 says it like this, speaking of Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. In other words, he saw beyond the world's resources, which are temporary, to the eternal treasures. And trials have a way of weaning us from earthly confidences in ways that nothing else will. In Acts chapter 20, it talks about Paul and how the people kept saying to Paul that he was going to be imprisoned and that he may even die if he continues to speak the way that he speaks and preach the way that he preaches. And Paul's response to that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 is, None of these things move me. I will not be threatened by human fear. So sometimes God allows hard things to his people to test the validity of our faith, sometimes to wean us from earthly confidences. But thirdly, I want you to see this morning this important truth, to call us to heavenly hope. To call us to heavenly hope, to fill our hearts with, with great and glorious anticipation of that which is eternal. Listen, don't miss this this morning There is only one way to never be disappointed in this life. There's only one way for us not to be disappointed when trials and difficulties come. And that is to live in the hope of eternity. Because if you live in the hope of now, you will be disappointed. If you live in the hope of a person, you will be disappointed. If you live in the hope of possessions, you will be disappointed. But if you live in the hope of heaven, in the hope of eternity, I can promise you, he will never disappoint you. Paul was able to do this in Romans 8 and verse 18 when he said, For I reckon, good southern guy. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, For which cause we faint not, but, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice this, emphasize it, underline it, circle it, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. As Paul challenged the Philippians to live every day with a reminder of our heavenly citizenship and that we are simply pilgrims on this earth passing through. Don't don't dig your roots too deep. Don't plant your roots too deep in this earth. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. 
to die as gain. Why? Because he lived with a heavenly perspective. It was heaven that was his hope. He says, it's far better for me to depart and to be with Christ. And so trials tend to call us to a heavenly hope. And then fourthly, sometimes God allows difficult things to his people to reveal his compassion in our brokenness. And I absolutely love this thought. It is God's desire, church, above anything else, that we understand who he is. To know him in deeper ways. To know his nature. And we see his nature displayed to us. He wants to to show us his nature. He wants to show us who he is. He wants to show us his character. Because... I can try to show you love, and I can try to show you care, and I can try to show you compassion, but you can't really understand love and care and compassion until God himself shows you love, care, and compassion. That's another dimension kind of love. That's another dimension kind of care. That's another dimension kind of compassion. And if God is truly a God of compassion, and if he is a God of mercy, and if he is a God of grace, and if he is a God of pity, and if he is, as our text says, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, then listen, he needs an opportunity to demonstrate that to us. How will he ever show us compassion if we never need compassion? How will he ever show us comfort if we never need comfort? How will he ever show us mercy if we never need mercy? So in order to experience the most incredible thing in the world, the compassion of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, he has to bring us to places of brokenness where he can demonstrate and show his compassion and his care to us. In other words, if there is no calamity in our life, we would never experience his compassion, his comfort. No calamity, no comfort. If there was no loss in our life, we could never experience his loving kindness. I want you to listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 63, the psalmist who many think to be David. But he said this in Psalm 63 and verse 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life. (laughs) It's better than anything. He says, because of that, my lips shall praise thee. He declares that to experience this, the loving kindness of God is better than life. That word loving kindness means tender mercy. Means compassion on people who suffer, who are in pain, who are in trouble. It is better than life, but you have to go through pain to experience it. You have to go through trial to experience it. You have to go through difficulty to experience it. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, there's nothing like walking with him, there's nothing like Going to a a spot with just you and him and talking to him and experiencing his fellowship and experiencing his ministry, experiencing his comfort. But you can't do that without brokenness. You can't do that without pain. 
no calamity, no comfort, no loss, no need for loving kindness, no pain, no need for pity. And I'm just like you. Sometimes we want to just, we want to just take the pain away. I want to do it with my kids. I want to rescue them. I want to just fix the situation. Take them out of the situation so that they don't have to go through that. Brother Brian, when we were at the hospital the other night and the pain was beyond human comprehension, you want to just take it away. You want to just fix it. But you can't do that. All we can do is say we have to go through this to experience the best thing in this life, the fellowship of God, the comfort of God, the compassion of God. Fifthly and briefly, I'm just going to mention this point. But sometimes God allows difficult things to his people to develop our spiritual strength for greater usefulness. Ultimately, God has us on this earth to advance his kingdom. To spread the gospel. That's why we're here. Listen, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If that was not the purpose why we were here, he would have already taken us out of here. Because I enjoyed the worship this morning. It was good, but it it does not pale in comparison to the worship we're going to have in heaven. I enjoyed the fellowship and Bible study and faith groups this morning. I needed it. It was awesome. It's going to help me this week. But it it is nothing compared to the fellowship that we're going to have in heaven. Those are not the main reasons we're here. There is one thing that we do on this earth that we will never be able to do in heaven, and that is share the gospel with someone. To evangelize. To get people prepared for eternity. And it is important that we allow these trials and these difficulties to strengthen us for eternal purpose, for eternal usefulness. And James talks about this in James chapter 1. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And that phrase means diverse or many different kinds of trials. Multicolored is really the word there. Multicolored trials and difficulties. Count it all joy. How do you count it all joy when you go into trials and difficulties? Because knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh endurance, patience, endurance. But let endurance or patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, mature, Conform to the image of Christ, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So the Lord is going to use trials to make us mature and complete and lacking nothing to make us the strongest, most formable Christian for his glory, for his kingdom, and for his purposes. Because it is in our weaknesses that his strength is experienced and his strength is demonstrated through our lives. Lastly, and I'll be done, back to our text. God allows difficulties into the life of his people, number six, to enable us to help others in their trials. 
And I mentioned this on Tuesday night that this was a scripture that God gave my wife when our youngest son was born with severe health problems and things that we weren't expecting and a liver disease on top of it. This was the scripture. One of the reasons that we have difficulty in this life is that so God can come to us. Look, so he can come to us in our difficulty. And he can strengthen us and he can pour his care and his compassion so that we then can go to others with the strength he's given to us and bring them comfort. The truth is this, this family and these, these children, they've gone through something that I have not gone through. I'm older than them. It doesn't seem fair to me. It doesn't seem fair to me. And I can ask why, and we do. But we have to bring ourselves back to the scriptures and we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord through the word of God to know that Andrew and and John and Bethany and Freddie, that God is going to direct you to people who I would never be able to minister to, but you will. You'll be able to help them. You'll be able to direct them toward the only means of comfort that they need. Look at it again, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Notice this and mark it. This is the purpose who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort that we ourselves are comforted of God. He's allowing trials and difficulty in our life. And then notice this. He is pouring comfort in on top of those trials. And right now, it's raw. It hurts. It's painful. But what you're going to see in the days ahead is that God pours his compassion and his comfort and his peace. Things that only he can give you. Supernatural things. Remember what he said to Peter? In Acts chapter 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, or when you are brought through this, Peter, notice what he says, strengthen thy brethren. Help your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why the body of Christ is so important. It's why it's important for us to be a part of the body of Christ. Speaking of the New Testament church in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 12, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. I and Kim have experienced comfort in our life from the family of God in amazing, incredible ways. Why? So that we could pour that comfort into someone else. Not the same situations. Multicolored trials. My trials don't look like yours. My difficulties don't look like yours. But today, as the scripture calls us, we weep with those that weep. As the body of Christ, when one of us hurts, we all hurt. 
When one of us are going through a trial in difficulty, we all come alongside and we all help. And we all encourage and we all minister. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. My desire this morning is just simply to minister to the body of Christ to help us be able to answer the wise to some degree. To be able to go back to the scriptures and to understand this, this is the temporary life. Keep your eyes focused on on eternity. Realize why we're on this temporary life and realize that the trials and difficulties that God allows into this life, they're not in vain. They're not there just to make life difficult. But what these things do is Man, they turn our hearts and minds towards eternity. They they cause us to anticipate glory. They direct our minds to God, where it should be all the time, to, to, to seek Him, to seek His comfort, to seek His compassion, and then to say, okay, God, now how can I use this to help others prepare for eternity? And this week, let's ask God, let's comfort one another. Let's... Seek others who we can comfort this week as the body of Christ. I mentioned it earlier, but our community and missionaries around the world. The passing of Miss Brenda Allred will be felt across the world, literally. Because there are missionaries around this world who I know personally that Miss Brenda has helped in a substantial way through the years to accomplish a worldwide gospel mission, not wanting a single person to know about it, not wanting anybody to talk about it. So much so that they want to fly across the country to honor her. There's people in this church who have been saved and discipled and helped and strengthened through the ministry of Pastor Fred and Miss Brenda all read. In fact, if you have been helped and ministered to and impacted by the life and ministry of Brother Fred and Miss Brenda all read, would you stand for just a moment? Look around you, church. This is this is us. These people are grieving at this loss. And we as the body of Christ, we must gather around, we must come around. In fact, I want you to stay standing. And Matt, I want you to come, if you would, to the piano and Brian. And I'm not going to ask us to come to an altar this morning. But stay standing, those that are standing. And here's what I want us to do. All the rest of us and each other that are standing I want you to gather around. In fact, right now, just gather around some of these that are standing. Put your hand on them. Let's pray for each other. Nobody alone. Everybody stand. Everybody find somebody. Gather around somebody. You saw these people that are standing. Just put your hand on them. Let them know you're praying for them. Give them a hug right now. Minister to them. Tell them you're praying for them. And let's just pray that the God of all comfort, 
will minister to our church family this morning in a real, a real way.